something that I think it's easy for us to forget when we read the New Testament is that the early church had a very different expectation of what the future was going to hold than we have now, looking back with 2,000 years of hindsight. It's clear from particularly some of the letters that the people of the early church expected Jesus to come back soon. They expected him back within their lifetimes and that he would usher in this new reign of God, the kingdom of God that he had proclaimed, in which there would be no more suffering and no more death. And then days turned into weeks, into months, into years, and in the natural course of things, some of the followers of Jesus began to die. And those left behind were naturally worried. Had they missed out? This time was coming when there would be no more death, but they had died before Jesus returned, before he brought that time to be. How unfortunate, how unfair. Now, many pagan religions of the day had stories of life after death, but those who know anything of the religions of ancient history will know it wasn't, generally speaking, a very happy image of life after death. And amongst the Jews, the question of whether there was a continuance of the soul after death was, and still is, a very much debated point. So it became very important for the early church to hear this reassurance that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Words that I read at pretty much any funeral I take. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord, so that whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose again, so that he might be Lord of the dead and the living. Now, the death and the resurrection of Jesus clearly defies any attempt that we might make to put it into a box to fully understand or explain or to make sense of it. So in the scriptures we have Lots of different images, pictures, attempts to describe something of what it means. It is in this fullest sense, the deepest sense, a mystery. In that however many questions you ask of it and however many answers you get, there will always be more questions, always more depths to explore. One of the descriptions, one of the attempts to make meaning out of the death and resurrection is the one we find here in Paul's words. And the image he draws here is relatively simple. Jesus has been alive and has been dead, so he can be our Lord whether we are alive or dead. And having been dead, he was alive again, so death is no barrier to him 
and nor is it to us. That's the promise, that is the inheritance that we have obtained as we heard from our reading in the letter to the church at Ephesus. The inheritance that in Christ we have received. In that time, even more so than it is still today, to receive an inheritance was the right of the children. To be told that we have in Christ received an inheritance is to be told that in Christ we are God's children. We are adopted co-heirs, as the author says elsewhere, with Christ. That we have been made siblings of Jesus and of each other. And thus thus might expect that his story of death not being the end is also our story. He was the firstborn, but we, his siblings. And those same words have been spoken through the generations to all those who have gone before us. That same gift of inheritance, of adoption into God's family has been offered to those we have loved and lost. They too are our siblings. They too part of the great family that names God as father and mother the great family bound together by the all-conquering love of God expressed in Jesus Christ. But profound though that truth is, that we are all bound together in this family of the saints, profound though that is, it doesn't deny the reality of the human experience of death, of mourning. That we love people and people we love die. That though death is, in the words of the Bible, a defeated enemy, it is still an enemy that has power to hurt. On Thursday morning, I was standing here to speak at a funeral. And I reflected, as I often do at funerals, that however great our confidence might be in the life to come, the death of a loved one is still a very real loss to us. However sure that we will meet again we might be, it is still an ending. And that pain and mourning that we feel is not a denial of our faith in what is to come, but it sits alongside it. They are both our reality. So marking all saints, we recognise and we name both truths. Our confidence in a future reunited 
and the reality of the present loss. And we recognise that that loss remains real. And it can remain real long after the funeral, long after the mourners have returned to their lives. I recently had my attention drawn to some research done over the last few years in brain science. The research was on the structures in our brain that map out our network of important relationships, that pattern of how the different people in our lives fit together. That mesh of relationships has an almost physical representation in our brains. And one thing this research had shown was that when someone significant dies, it can take a long time for the patterns in our brain to update themselves. It can take months or even years, especially for those of us who are older and whose brains don't change quite as quickly as they did when we were young. Which means that that sense that we have long after someone has died, that they should somehow still be there, that sense that their absence is wrong, is not a wishful longing or a denial of our confidence in God. It actually reflects something fundamental about who we are as humans. That who we are is so deeply intertwined with our relationships with other people that we cannot quickly adjust to a loss. However much our culture might expect us or want us to move on, we simply cannot. Not for lack of faith, but simply the way that we are wonderfully and fearfully created. The same research also showed that over time, those structures do change and rearrange. And the reality of the loved one can begin to fade which for us can be a double grief. We can feel like we are betraying the loved one as we realise that we are forgetting and realise that we don't expect them to be there as much as we used to. I personally find it very comforting to think that as those details have faded, it's not because I am loving less. It's simply that my mind is finally catching up with the reality that they are gone. 
And at that point, I take deeper comfort still from the assurance of our faith. The assurance that in God, nothing is ever forgotten. And those words we heard read from the book of Romans. The assurance that the present reality of the absence that our minds are now accepting is less real, less true than the deeper truth that the ones who have gone before us whether they are still in a way real in our minds or beginning to fade, they are still real and present in the great communion of saints. They are still real and present before God, in the presence of God, held in the same eternal love of God that holds us. And there are other words from that same letter to the church in Rome that I always read at a funeral. Words of assurance. Words that remind us that God's love that holds us in Jesus as the family, as the adopted children of God is so far above all other powers that it renders them impotent. So let me finish with those words. You know them well. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.